0: what's up everyone it's michael scotto HoopsHype.com's nba writer and host of the hoops high podcast on today's episode one of my favorite guys in the business and new york knicks beat writer Stephen bondi of the new york daily news joins me on the hoops high podcast to discuss what went down with the donovan mitchell trade talks who could be potentially the next star that the knicks target because lord knows they're gonna be linked to a bunch of guys We'll talk about RJ Barrett's extension, the Jalen Brunson signing, and much more. Steph, appreciate you coming on, brother. How's everything going your way?
1: It is fantastic, man. I always love to hop on with you. And I appreciate you saying you're one of my favorite I'm one of your favorite people because you're one of mine.
0: Appreciate that, my man. Um uh unfortunately I would say that uh, you know, Justin Zanuck and and Danny Ainge could not say the same for Leon Rose and the New York Knicks after <laughs> uh <laughs> after those uh Trade talks fell through for for Donovan Mitchell. Um, you know, Justin Zanuck and Danny Ainge gave a press conference recently uh, to the local jazz media, and they were talking about how the deal from the Cleveland Cavaliers was the best deal that they got. Now, Steph, when I looked at this uh, trade for the Cavs, I thought it was a home run for them because they're not a team that's going to get guys in free agency. They got a guy locked in for the next 3 years. Um in his prime, that's a an all-star guy that'll fit with their core. I think they're going to be a force in the East. When I looked at it for the Knicks, I didn't like I thought getting Donovan Mitchell would be a step in the right direction for the Knicks, but did I think that they had a ceiling of being like a top 4 team in the East? No. I thought maybe they could contend for like a 6th seed or something, but you know, with the unprotected picks, um, I think it would have hurt them more to give those up than it would Cleveland because Cleveland was already show, has already shown they could be a playoff team and they've got a sustained young core looking ahead that was only going to get better. So I didn't think it mattered as much to them, but um, I thought the dynamics and the reporting around it of, of Gerson Roses, uh, you know, the former Minnesota Timberwolves general manager was now with the Knicks kind of being the lead negotiator reportedly um, was something interesting to me. Um, But overall, I I was surprised that Donovan Mitchell didn't end up with the Knicks. It seemed like they had the biggest need for a guy like that and the most assets to get it done. And it didn't happen. Steph, when you look at this trade, or lack thereof, excuse me, for for the Knicks, what were your thoughts on why it didn't happen, and um, what could have been for the New York Knicks if they had gotten Donovan Mitchell?
1: All right. So I'm always of the mindset that um, when you have an opportunity, you go for it. And it wasn't that long ago, only a year ago, when the Knicks were the four seed, right? So um, I understand that the two teams, the Cavaliers and the Knicks, are in two different timelines. I understand why it would be less of a risk for the Cavaliers and more of a reward for the Cavaliers to go after Donovan Mitchell. With that being said, the Knicks definitely wanted Donovan Mitchell. This wasn't a situation where um, they were being hesitant. I know there were some reports about, um, they were worried that they, they had this low ceiling with Donovan Mitchell. They really wanted him. And, and I can confirm that uh, Rosas was a, was a lead negotiator in the, um, in the negotiations. He was talking to Zanuck a lot. I think they have a prior relationship. That much is true. How it broke down, um, there are conflicting views about this. Um, the, the from my understanding, the Caval, the sorry, the Jazz were really heavy on the unprotected picks. That's what they wanted. And, and when it boiled down to it, the Knicks and the the, um, the Knicks and the Jazz were really close. Um, they thought they were going to get a deal done. They. They were like at the f- two yard line. Sorry, am I allowed to curse on this? They were at the two yard line and um, and, you know, they couldn't get they could it was they were haggling over protections over picks. And that that was the emphasis. What I'm really curious to know is and I know Woj reported this when the Cavs came, when the Cavs jumped in and they gave their offer and the Jazz said, all right, we're going to take that. Why did the Jazz not go back to the Knicks? That's what World reported. Why did they not go back and say, "Hey, this is the final, this is the offer we're getting from the Cavs. We're going to take it. Are you going to come back with something?" Now, if it's true that they didn't go back to the Knicks, I don't understand that. I don't understand because because I think I believe if that's the case, the Knicks would have gone above that offer and would have, if they were forced, if, if their hands were forced, they would have beaten the offer from the Cavaliers and, and got mm-hmm. Donovan Mitchell. I'm very curious, and I don't know. I'm very curious to know how that went down.
0: Well, yeah, I mean, I other than you know the Oklahoma City Thunder, who were never going to get Donovan Mitchell, the Knicks had all the assets to get it done, but they didn't.
1: Um, now, also, I'd like to throw in there. Sure, there are different view, views about um, how how the league views RJ Barrett. Um, my, uh, my understanding is the Jazz value the contract that they got with Colin Sexton more than they, what they would have had to pay RJ Barrett. And that was an important part to the trade negotiations as well.
0: That's an interesting topic of discussion because for Colin Sexton with Cleveland, he, you know, they were trying to stay under the luxury tax. They weren't trying to go more than around 13 and a half or so, uh, annually, uh, in a multi-year deal for him. And they would have had to trade Chetty Osman or something like that to, to go up more. They weren't willing to do that. Um, with with the RJ Barrett extension with the Knicks, I think certainly people around the league um, view it in, in in different ways, right? Because you've got a guy that it is getting better in in some ways, but what's his ceiling? It, I think with the rising cap, um, that contract is going to look better over time. But uh, to me, it's it. I, the beauty was in the eye of the beholder. I had heard conflicting things, Stefan, on whether like Utah really wanted R.J. Barrett at all uh, costs. I think there were scenarios where uh, if the Knicks did not put R.J. Barrett in the trade, that Danny Ainge and Justin Zanuck and, and the guys in Utah would have welcomed more draft pick compensation as a substitute. But uh, that didn't seem like Something that the Knicks wanted to do either, um, you know, Utah wasn't trying to take on Julius Randle. Um, you know, Evan Fournier, if he was going to be involved, it would have probably had been a multi-team uh, deal. Uh, you know, because they're in a, in a rebuild mode. I mean, Lowry, marketing and Colin Sexton are good young players Utah gets back. Um, you know, with the Knicks haggling over Quentin Grimes, it kind of reminded me a little bit like. Um, just for example, like I remember one year when Cleveland didn't want to trade JJ Hickson, you know, there's always some teams that don't want to trade a guy. Um, and then you look back years later and it's like, that was the sticking point. Like you think of Timothy Mozgov with that's the, what,
1: that's the one that comes to mind. It's Timothy Mozgov. like, it does, that doesn't make sense.
0: <laughs> yeah. So it's like, I, you know, I don't know how good of a player Quentin Grimes is going to end up being ultimately, but I know Donovan Mitchell's a, an all-star caliber guy. He's somewhere in that, I don't know he's an all-star. So at that point, you got to be in the top 25 top 20 range somewhere as an NBA player. Um, But, you know, we touched on a little bit RJ Barrett's extension. And uh, as I touched on, I, I do think like with the rising cap, it'll look better. I'm curious to see how this extension affects Tyler hero's negotiations with the Miami heat um, and, and what they do with him ultimately, but, um, For the Knicks, it was seemingly a no-brainer after the Donovan Mitchell talks fell through that you were going to extend RJ at that point. Um, They didn't have to, but the Knicks have shown a willingness to do that. They did it with Julius Randle on an extension previously as well. Um, Steph, what's been your sense of the feedback internally from the Knicks and around the league on the RJ Barrett extension?
1: Well, first of all, I think, just to backtrack a little bit, they 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 handled it poorly in that just minutes after um, the the Donovan Mitchell trade was leaked, they decided to to fu- to make the trade official and put out this statement about how great RJ Barrett is. And we're happy to have him. It was transparent. Like, it, um, Oh snap, we're, we, we got to do this real quick because you know, we're going to get some bad publicity for missing out on Donovan Mitchell. Let's throw this out there. And it felt like, RJ Barrett was a consolation prize rather than the big signing that they were trying to present it as. So they bought to that part of it. Um, I don't know the, uh, the lingering effects this is going to have on RJ Barrett. Different players handle this um, differently in terms of you're being, you you committed to this franchise. You said you want to be there. You wanted to resign and then you're being dangled in trade negotiations for somebody else. That's going to be interesting to see. My sense of RJ Barrett's character is um, he he'll be able to put that aside and um, focus on what's important and you know, the, the feeling around the league and it's always, it's been like this for a long time with RJ Barrett. He, his ceiling is lower um, than a lot, than um, a lot of these pro- top prospects and top picks because he's not that athletic. Um, he's, he's great that going downhill, he's strong, he's fast, but he doesn't jump fat. He doesn't jump high. He struggles to get by his defenders in one-on-one situations. So that's going to limit his, um, his ceiling defensively. He loves to take on the assignments. Is he the best defender? I would say he's above average, um, but he has good size. So that helps him out in the wing position. The um, Now, in terms of, you know, what? sorry, where, I got sidetracked there. What was the question?
0: <laughs> <laughs> what? No, you, I was saying you, you were answering it as far as like what's RJ is. How is RJ Barrett's extension viewed both internally and around the league? You definitely touched a little bit externally as far as how he's viewed as a player.
1: Right. So he has big he has fans within the organization Scott Perry drafted them. I'd hope um, so. If you're yeah. going to extend them. <laughs> yeah, you're going ex- <laughs> to you know what though? You know the fact that they waited as long as they did and they were willing to um give him up with all this other compensation for Donovan Mitchell shows that there are there are people who are not as high in them as, in the organization as others and I have heard that. And I know Mark Berman reported that that they um there are some people in the organization that um that don't feel as high about RJ Barrett. And uh, I believe that to be true.
0: Mark Berman uh, also reported, I believe, that Shea Gilge's Alexander is a possible guy that the Knicks could target. Um, from what I remember. Do you remember this? No, I don't remember it, but that's
1: just logical. I mean,
0: well, well you know, you know, here's my thing with that. I don't see that. And I'm going to tell you why. Because if you think Utah wanted a lot of draft picks for Donovan Mitchell, <laughs> What do you That's think Sam Presti is going to want for Shea Gilgis Alexander? He just signed them to a max extension.
1: Um, I know, I, I get that. I get that. But um, do you think he's going to Shea Gilgis Alexander is going to want to stay there? Do You think that, that that situation is tenable? That so when you look when when you look at who the Knicks can target, you have to look at first who is going to become available, and Shea Gilgis Alexander is one of those guys that you think might become available just based on his circumstances. That's it. It's just it for me. It's just logical that because um, we looked at we looked at different players that may become available, whether it's Dame Lillard, Carl uh, Anthony Towns, whomever. They never became available. Donovan Mitchell did, but I could see a scenario where Shea, Shea Gilge's Alexander becomes available.
0: Well, I could tell you this right now from uh, some I've, uh, some people around Oklahoma City. Uh, I mean, they they really like Shea Gilge's Alexander. and obviously, the injury to Chet Holmgren's gonna stunt their ability to win this season. But uh, that's a guy that they signed to that extension for a reason. They think that he's a guy that can be a, a building block for that team. So my I mean, th-
1: dude, I get that, but they just signed Donovan Mitchell to an extension too, not that long ago. Circumstances change very quickly in the NBA.
0: No, I listen, I I hear you on that, but I just I think Donovan. Put it this way, at least to this point, there's more noise or there had been more noise about Donovan Mitchell wanting to go elsewhere and and, and the, the tension with Rudy Gobert and, and Utah hit a ceiling. Like Oklahoma City hasn't even really tried to compete yet. You know, mm-hmm. I, I, I think that's it, – it, it is going to be interesting. I think this season to monitor Shea and, and see his temperament for sure. Yeah, yeah. But, um, you know, with that in mind, th- you've got – RJ, you've now also got Jalen Brunson. I'm not sure where Shea would fit, but before I get into Jalen Brunson stuff, anyone else you're keeping an eye on beside Shea Gilge's alexander that could be a target for the Knicks now that uh, they whiffed on Donovan Mitchell?
1: Listen, I, it's topical, so I'm going to bring it up. Um, the Phoenix Suns right now are in a tenuous situation given what's happening with their owner. And, uh, you know, Chris Paul is a guy that will take action. Uh, and he he and I'm not talking about I'm not going to go there. Chris Paul, I'm going to go with the Devin Booker because I don't know what's going to happen in Phoenix at this point. I have no idea how the players are going to react to this Robert Sarver news. I don't know. I, I don't know how the NBA reacted initially. There's been big backlash since then. Um, I could see an upheaval somehow coming with the Phoenix Suns. I, I don't know what that would look like, but uh, I'd keep an eye on Devin Booker.
0: Interesting. I mean, I obviously got some CAA ties at that. So Kentucky uh, too. Well, all roads to MSG go through Kentucky. It certainly seems like that's a fair assessment as well. Um, but we did touch on uh, Jalen Brunson a little bit because, you know, you're talking about Shay, but Shay's a point guard. Jalen Brunson's a point guard. So they get Jalen Brunson. They also get his dad to be an assistant coach. They don't do a press conference introducing Jalen Brunson with the media uh, outside of MSG, I should say. Um, they didn't do it for R.J. Barrett either. Now, you know, there's a lot of curiosity around the league about uh, any potential tampering charges that may or may not come New York's way after signing Jalen Brunson and bringing in his dad as a coach, and assistant coach, um, what's the latest you've heard Steph on, on that front with Jalen Brunson and any potential tampering investigation slash potential, uh, either fines or loss of draft pick compensation for the Knicks.
1: Well, um, this was actually weeks ago when I was making phone calls about this. So I don't know how up to date this information was, but the league has been investigating. They've been investigating for a while at least one member of the Knicks organization has had their um, cell phone confiscated. Um, It could be much more, but I know of at least one. Um, And, uh, you know, I don't, I don't know what the NBA has found. I don't know if they're going to find anything to me. It's a big time gray area situation where, what are you going to tell a a father uh, that he can't talk to his son about, um, about his future? You know, if if, it, if I was if I were the Knicks, I would have had Jalen Brunson uh, come talk to the press and say something along those lines. Like if you're asking me whether I talk to my father about my future, uh, the answer is yes. Like it. So I don't know. I think there's a lot of precedence happening with this investigation. But, um, you know, I have heard that it, it, in worst case scenario, the Knicks will um, have to um, give up a draft pick should the league find that they did something egregious here. They
0: also, okay, so now like you got Brunson signed and another guy that they brought back was, uh, excuse me, I shouldn't say brought back because uh, they signed Brunson, but another guy that was signed this offseason we'll go with was Mitchell Robinson. And I thought his contract was interesting because it's a descending contract, which usually signals to me, Steph, and people around the league that it could be tradable. Uh, Built, it was you know designed to be traded. Um, you know, I've talked to people within the Knicks. Mitchell Robinson's kind of relatively been the same guy he's been since he was drafted. Now, some people in the Knicks organization think he's still young at 24 years old and he's learning um, and has some upside to get better. But when you looked at that signing for Mitchell Robinson, what did you see in terms of? his future looking ahead because to me the way the contract was structured and it's descending, it could be a decent trade ship.
1: Yeah. Um, I think it was more, they gave him more than I thought. Um, and I think we had a discussion on your podcast mm-hmm. during the last season. He got a little more. Th-
0: we talked about, I he think 12 got, to 13 yeah. million, and he got a little more than that. He got a
1: little more. I thought 12 to 13 was a little high too, um, uh, just based on what I've seen from him. Now, listen, He is his he is good, really good at what he does. Um, But what he does is limited. So I think he fits very well into the scheme that Tom Thibodeau wants, which is he wants a big center who's a rim protector who can finish at the rim. On the other end, he he fits that box. He checks those boxes. Um, He's a good center for 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 this system. And he's, you know, he's big, man. He's like, he, he's what you want in, in the type of center that, that Tom Thibodeau envisions for this offense. With that being said, there have been questions about um, his health, um, his conditioning, um, his maturity that, you know, I don't know if they've been answered. Maybe the Knicks have, have, have gotten satisfying answers to a lot of those questions before they gave him that, that contract. Um, but for me, this is a guy that still needs to prove that he can, you know, be healthy play 70 70 plus games in a season and, um, you know, average over 30 minutes a game because thus far he hasn't been able to do that.
0: I mean, he's clearly had trouble with fouls.
1: Um, Well, that's, that's, I didn't bring that up, but thank God you did because that was a big part.
0: Yeah. I mean, he has a a compulsive disorder to foul um, early, but he
1: got better, but he did. I have to say this. He got much better at that last
0: season. Oh. Hopefully, it continues to go in that direction. But, you know, I touched on him as a trade candidate. I mean, certainly, I think the biggest trade candidate or name you're going to hear in rumors uh, when it comes to the Knicks is going to be Cam Reddish. Now, NBA executives I've spoken to are split on Cam Reddish. Some believe Reddish has raw physical talent and upside that has yet to be tapped into, others believe he doesn't have the drive to fulfill his potential. He's going to be eligible for an $8.1 million qualifying offer and restricted free agency in the summer of 2023. Huge year for Cam Redis' future, not only with the Knicks, but I think his own career at this point. Um, With regards to Cam and the Knicks, he hasn't been able, he's been collecting more splinters on the bench than points for the Knicks under Tom Thibodeau. so with that in mind, Steph, do you see any scenario where Cam Reddish is going to get playing time this season or do you expect him to be moved?
1: Uh, I do. The only scenario I see him getting playing time at this point is if there's an injury, because uh, if you look at the rotation, he does not fit in it. Um, and it it now begs the question, why did they give up a first round pick to trade for him in the first place? Because he never had a role on his team ever ever since they got him. So. I know that um, you know, I I don't think he made a trade request has been the rumors out there, but I know that he feels like that. He doesn't have an opportunity here and wants a place where he does want an opportunity. So I can, I can now listen, the Knicks aren't going to give him up for nothing. They just gave up a first round pick for him. So, you know, his value since then has gone down. And I think if they trade him now, they're not going to get that back, that first round pick back. So, um, you know, I, I could see a scenario where he gets traded. At the same time, there has to be a team willing to give up something to get him. Um, And I know there's been a push to get him on the Lakers. Um, But, uh, you know, I don't know. You know, I don't know if the Lakers are willing to give up something that the Knicks will take.
0: I mean, when it came to the Lakers talks for him, that was as much of a like Russell Westbrook potential blockbuster and things like that. I, I don't know if they would just at this point, just try to trade for him specifically. Um You know, the Lakers got their own stuff going on out there. They're talking as much about Boyan Bogdanovich as anybody right now. Um But, you know, we talk about Cam Reddish as a trade candidate, you know, two other guys, you kind of heard their names floated out there a little bit in the uh, Utah Jazz, uh, Trade talks for Donovan Mitchell, Julius Randle, and Evan Fournier. Um, you know, for Randle, since signing the extension, it, it hasn't gone the way that I think both he and the Knicks envisioned. Um, they took a step back last year as a team, and, and, and Julius as well, with shooting the ball. Um, I think some around the league, you know, other executives looked at um, his play and, and seemingly his, his attitude a little bit at times with the Knicks um, and took note of that um Evan Fournier they paid him a lot of money shot the ball de- you know pretty well from three point range but other than that i don't know how much uh he really moves or moved the needle last season when you look at those guys what what's new york's plan with with both of those guys cuz you know tibbs has always talked about julius kind of being the engine yeah. and i don't like a julius randle led team has a ceiling and i think you know, the, the year that they were kind of in that like bubble mode and, um, you know, with, with, the, with the pandemic and everything, I think that was like the best case scenario. And even that, I thought it wildly exceeded expectations.
1: Yeah. Now, I, so let me let me because you touched on it. Do you believe subscribe to the theory? Because no, we're never going to really know. It's impossible to know that he was that good because there was no fans in the building. Uh,
0: Steph, I, I kid you not. I've said this to people around the league and even my own friends that root for the Knicks. I, de- I, b- I believe that that definitely plays a factor to some extent you saw, you know, with some of his social media comments and, you know, reactions towards the fans last year. So you can't tell me the fans don't get to him at a certain point. Yeah. yeah. Um, I, I, yes, I personally believe that for sure. Um. Yeah. You can never quantify that. Um, but I mean, you just look at the numbers. Um, he, I think the biggest thing too, was he shot the ball better than he ever did that year. And that, that was going to be a regression to the mean, you know, that that's an analytical like minions term, you know, the the regression to the mean over here. I I hear, see it all the time in like fantasy football stuff, but that was always coming back down to earth.
1: It was, but it went, it went further back down. It went further down than anybody thought last season. Uh, here's why I think I, I subscribe to that theory about the fans as well. I saw it happen, man. Like I was in those build, those empty buildings. Cause they let the media sit up on the chase bridge during those games. Um, uh, <laughs> no did other you fans. bring your binoculars? Yeah. Right. Yeah. I don't think fans
0: um, realize that's almost yeah. at the top of the roof. Of the, uh, about,
1: yeah. It was all the way. at the. We were basically on a roof and there were no other fans in the building. So they could have put us anywhere else, but they still put us on the roof. Um, Shocking. but so then they, uh, I saw him playing out of his mind during those times. The when I really saw him struggle and when this really kicked off all the struggles that kind of snowballed and, and, and spilled over into last season is during the playoffs. And what happened in the playoffs? They let the fans back in the building. So, <laughs> I saw dude, I saw it happen. So I, you know, I know you, like you said we can't really quantify it. It's imp- it's going to be impossible to know. One thing that that did take me by surprise with Julius Randle is and, and later on, as it was happening, I talked to people in New Orleans, and they were like, "Man, you should have known. The dude is sensitive. Um, is how how sensitive he is to some things." And I lo- I like Julius Randle. I think he's, um, you know, an, a great family man, and um, you know, he tries and he's passionate and all that stuff. But he lets stuff get to him, and you know. And it, he doesn't react in a positive way when the stuff gets him. Some people take t- take it in, in inside of them and use it as motivation to play better, to try harder, all that stuff. He t- he takes it in a negative way, and that happened a lot last season. I don't know if that's something that can be corrected. Um, you know, you think it can be, and um, I think it would make a lot of difference in in him and his game because when you add a Jalen Brunson and you figure Jay, R.J. Barrett's going to take that next step. Julius Randle is not going to have the ball or as many opportunities as he had during that pandemic season. And if he figures out how to play kind of that, not really a secondary role, but a complementary role next to all these different people, I think that's going to benefit the Knicks exponentially if he does. And my sense is that the Knicks are certainly going to give this a try. They're going to let Jalen Brunson be the point guard, um, have RJ Barrett on the wing and Julius Randle as a power forward and give this a go next season uh, before the, they try to trade any, anybody within it, within that group I just mentioned. Certainly. So um, I, I know that people talk about trading Julius Randle so that Obi Toppin gets more of an opportunity. I don't think that's going to happen, you know, certainly not right away. And we're going to see this, the Knicks give this a go.
0: I agree with you on that assessment. Um, I think what's interesting to me is when you look at Julius Randle, last year, one of the things a lot of people, whether it's scouts or executives, I spoke to about him, they noticed he got back to some of his old habits, head down, turning the ball over, not moving the ball like he did um, prior to that, uh, that season, you know, before he got his extension, when he was playing more of a team ball type of style that you, that you touched on. Um, I guess I'll, I'll leave you with this one. Um, but
1: let me let me say something about that, too, because the Knicks, sure. instead of instead of trying trying to fix the problem, I think they they kind of played along with it with the whole uh, when, when he was fined for not talking to the media. Um, they they ate the fine. They said it was the, all their fault and they paid the twenty five thousand dollars. So it felt like there was no accountability. And then you saw all these things transpiring during games. And it felt like there was never an accountability for for Julius Randle um, and a reason for him to look introspectively. Um, and the it just felt like the Knicks never provided that. But go ahead.
0: Interesting. So, uh, interesting thought on that. I would say to you, as we kind of get ready to wrap up here on the Knicks, obviously we touched on a lot of things, but one thing we haven't touched on, touched a lot on the players, right? Behind the bench and up in the suites you've got you got tom thibodeau on the sidelines you got leon rose pulling the strings as the the head guy when you look at both of them next season and their futures i'm curious stuff what you see because you know tom thibodeau in, in my view i think tom thibodeau is a good coach i believe that because when I think of X's and O's and what he gets out of teams that don't have as much talent as we saw with the Knicks, you know, in the pandemic year, he maximizes them. Um, obviously, there's been a call to play some of the younger guys more. But with with Tibbs, it, it, I'm curious what you think going into this year, because I don't really know what the expectations are for the Knicks internally and, and externally. I mean, getting Brunson's a, a nice addition, but I don't know, like, really how much better they're going to be. The entire East got a lot better, in my opinion. So, what happens, Steph? In your opinion, for with Tom Thibodeau, does he make it through the year? And and for Leon Rose, given the fact that the Knicks did not get Donovan Mitchell, where is his job status as well going into this year?
1: So, you know, as a general rule, I don't. I'm not in Dolan's head, but as a general rule, the the front office and the team president or GM, they they get to choose at least a second coach before they're in trouble. And sometimes they get a third coach. So, you know, if the team does not play well, and, and I think the baseline should be improvement from last season uh, because they did. Now, th- there's reasonable hope and belief. Julius Randle cannot play worse. Um, they played a lot better towards the end of last season after, after the All-Star break. Uh, than they were before the all-star break. So we saw some improvement there. And I understand a lot of that was um the young guys playing. So well some of it was the young guys playing. So um I think the baseline should be improvement. If it does not get there and the team is struggling like it did last season, I think Tom Thibodeau's in trouble. It's always the first the coach that the first one is the first one to go.
0: Well Steph, I appreciate you joining me on the pod, my man it's always a pleasure and I'm I'm looking forward to your coverage coming up here you're gonna have training camp soon and then media day so I'm looking forward to you getting started on that my man
1: all right brother thank you for having me
0: you got it also want to thank everyone else for tuning in if you want to hear more episodes of the Hoopside podcast with guest appearances from NBA players coaches executives and media members such as Stefan Bondi you can like and subscribe to it on Spotify Apple Podcasts and anywhere else you listen to podcasts you can also keep up with my tweets on Twitter at Mike A. Make sure you're following Stefan Bondi as well. He's at S Bondi NYDN. Until next time, I'm your host, Michael Scotto, wishing you and yours all the best.